welcome to more to come pw comic world's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing i'm calvin reed senior news editor of publishers publishers weekly and co-editor of pw comics world and editor of uh the fanatic uh, pw's twice a month newsletter on comics and pop culture check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics all right uh listeners uh look this is uh uh I, this is a a podcast today we're going to talk uh, i think with uh, uh the creative team behind really i think one of the more important books that had just been published recently um uh it, 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 well, it's called frank big black smith Big Black Stand at Attica. Um, uh, we're going to be talking with uh, the co-creators, Jared Reinmuth, and the artist, Amiz Yen. Um, gentlemen, both of you, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thank you. Thank you, Colin, for having us. Uh, thank okay, you, I think Yes, I think the book is published uh, this month. Am I mistaken? Or Yes, it officially dropped on Tuesday, February Great. 18th. We did have a an event, a signing at the Strand the yes. night before it, it uh, released. Uh, and how, how was that? I, I, I wasn't able to come to it, but... Um, it was fantastic. Uh, so, so many members of the Smith family were there. So many people that had been involved with the legal struggle. Great. It was like a family reunion, art and political event. And of course, on, on, uh, the panel was Pearl Battle Smith, yes, uh, Frank's widow. Mm-hmm. widow. And she just, uh, you know, it was just, uh, and my stepfather, Dan Myers, of course, who got me involved in all this, uh, as the elder statesman there, it, it just was a, and, uh, Victor Laval was our uh-huh. moderator. Oh, so terrific. we, I mean, we oh, just, <laughs> yeah, an all-star team. Yeah. That's and, the novelist. Yeah. Great. And, uh, it was just a, a, a beautiful night. They sold out of books. Excellent. That's what we want to hear. Um, all right. Well, uh, 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 for those of you who uh, uh, may have just tuned in, I'm, I'm talking right now. I'm talking with Jared Reimuth, uh, who uh, worked with uh, Frank Smith, I guess, to to yes. to write down his life story and his involvement with this. And uh, uh, an amazing. Where are you? We're in France. Um, in France, near Paris. Near Paris. Okay, great. I just want to let, you know, I'd like to establish my credentials as an international podcast. So, <laughs> um, you got <laughs> here. so we're going to try and touch on a, a number of points and, um, I, I'm going to start off with Jared Amazian, but we're going to get to you. Okay. For sure. Um, so uh, really, uh, this book is a, both a graphic memoir of Frank Smith's life, but it's also a really a methodical history of the events uh, of the Attica Prison Rebellion in 1971. Uh, but first, before we get into all of that, um, uh, Jerry, can you t- talk to our uh, – first, I want you to talk to our listeners about who Frank Smith was, and then I'd love for you to talk about uh, what is Attica or what was Attica uh, at the time. Sure. Frank, big blacksmith, uh, has become – probably uh, one of the prisoners most closely related with the prisoner rights movement in this country post-Attica. Mm-hmm. Before he went to Attica, he would have called himself apolitical, you know, and he, uh, apolitical, but a man who respected all people, sure. liked, loved people, liked, uh, got along with people. He was the prison football coach. Mm-hmm. He was, 
uh, a person who got along with guards uh, quite well. He was only weeks away from parole when Attica happened. And he was in the laundry room at the time as uh, the rebellion erupted and um, made its way through the prison. He was working in the laundry. The laundry room had an exit out the back. Mm -hmm. So frightened prisoners were running through the prison and coming into the laundry because they knew they could leave uh, the uprising as it was swelling, as it was, you know, hostages were being taken, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, people were scared and they came running into the laundry room and he has the choice at this moment to leave the prison or to go into the rebellion. And he hears that a friend of his, that's actually a guard, Tony is beat up and he goes to look for Tony Mm -hmm. and to protect Tony and to get him out. And then he gets out in the yard and the team of leaders, uh, guys like, uh, LD Barkley, Roger Champin, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, there's that famous photograph. Yes. Uh, um, that, um, uh, um, Leiden, that Amazian translated into a drawing, yeah. a terrific drawing. Yes. Yeah. And so they, knowing that, uh, Big Black was so well liked amongst all the inmates, a little bit older than, than the younger crowd that was, uh, doing the political side of it. Uh, they called him to the negotiating table and asked him to be chief of security, to grab the football team, round them up. And, uh, that would be in charge of protecting hostages. The first line around the hostages were, uh, Muslims. And they had take a vow to protect the hostages. Big Black then coordinated the security with the Muslim and then uh, bringing, bringing negotiators and observers into the yard. And so because he was so prominent as he went in and out of the yard, he was singled out for the worst reprisals after the retaking. Retaking, of course, was nine minutes of indiscriminate shooting, over 2,000 rounds of ammunition, Mm -hmm. exploding bullets, which had been uh, outlawed by the Geneva Convention. Mm -hmm. Uh, 39 people dead, including uh, 10 guards. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they went looking for Big Black, and they singled him out for the worst kind of reprisals, uh, sadistic Mm -hmm. torture. They put him naked on a... a, um, on a table, put a football under his neck, jammed it into his neck, beat him in his testicles, put cigarette butts out on his stomach, dropped hot shell casings on his stomach, spit on him, and told him that they were going to castrate him, and they held a samurai sword between his legs, telling him that they were going to castrate him, and they told him that if once that football drops and hits the ground, that's when they're going to kill him. And so he has to stay locked in place for hours. Then they run him through a gauntlet, beat him, take him into isolation, break his wrists, uh, and play Russian roulette with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just reading the book, uh, is chilling. Uh, and the other prisoners, um, uh, it suffered torture in much the same ways. Absolutely. And so, you know, he was indicative of a, of a class of people, that were treated that way. Um, obviously not everyone got the kind of treatment he got. And the reason he got this treatment is because they had made up a lie about him. They had 
spread a rumor that he had castrated one of the hostages. And of course, at this time, they were claiming to the outside world that the hostages had been killed by the prisoners. So now they're blaming Frank and the prisoners, and they put out this lie, and it's printed everywhere, and it's accepted at face value in, across the entire country. Hey, Jared, and- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in right here because we're going to return to all of this. Um, uh, I, at this point, I, I want you to just talk a little bit about how the graphic adaptation started and, and I, and I want, cause I want to bring Amazing in, uh, in here and then we're going to return uh, to the events sure, uh, sure. that happened in September 1971. Absolutely. So how so, did this, how did the, okay, we're talking now years afterwards, um, yeah. uh, we're going to talk about the legal suit as well. Yeah, yeah. But how did you, uh, come to be, uh, the, uh, adapter, the, the interpreter yeah. of Frank Smith's yeah. life, so Big Black's the, life? The, so, at, at 1997, when the when the civil suit was finally coming uh, to trial, uh, to try the to try the damages, uh, and Big Black's case went before the jury, and he was uh, given a four million dollar verdict, which was a record at that time, set aside, of course, by the appellate court. But that at that point, I was volunteering in Buffalo with my uh, stepfather, who's one of the Attica lawyers, Dan Myers, who wrote the introduction for our book. Yes. Um, and I would ride around with Big – and since Big Black had just gotten this judgment, we thought, you know, this would be an incredible movie. And in order to give him control, we said we had to, you know, do it his way, his story. I would write everything down. Couldn't get anyone interested, you know. We were amazed. We couldn't get anyone interested. Every time something was closed, it fell through. Every time someone said we were read it, they wouldn't. Can I jump in for a second here? Because I, yeah. I don't think I really uh, got a chance for you to uh, really to identify your own background. Uh, obviously, you're the stepson of uh, of, uh, of Danny Myers, but you're also an actor, a director, yeah. uh, yes. filmmaker. Yes. Yes, all yeah. of that stuff. I mean, all of this comes in handy, I think. But yeah. so I'm yeah. sorry for neglecting to get into that. I was really mostly primarily an actor at that point. I just came back from Europe, working in Europe, mm-hmm. and so uh, and so. But I was an English major in college, and mm-hmm. so I had writing skills. I knew I did. And Big Black was like, you know, let's do this. And we worked so hard on it. We drove around for hours. He would tell me his everything. Uh, he was just a remarkable human being. And, uh, flash forward, not being able to get anyone to, to bite, uh, I put it out in a full screenplay. So he knew that I was always working at it. He had, uh, contracted cancer and, mm-hmm. uh, and his wife Pearl read him the screenplay in the hospital. Wow. And, mm-hmm. uh, and he said it was just like watching a movie of his life, which was the, again, the hugest compliment you could get. And, uh, but despite the historical significance of this, obviously, yeah, if you just want to look at a, at a dramatic conflict, it's it's completely astonishing. You couldn't get a bite. Uh, couldn't get a bite. Couldn't get a bite. Couldn't get people. To, couldn't get people to read it. Wow. Let alone bite on it. And and so then, uh, years later, you know, I was, I was obviously we were all very depressed after he died, and and of course then it was a time to put it aside, and. Uh, and I tried to shop it, you know, when Obama got elected president, I thought maybe now is a sure. time that it'll be good for stories like this. Still, same exact thing, ran into like the force field. So then uh, I had just had a play of mine produced um, off-Broadway at a 
uh, Count of Monte Cristo, an adaptation I did that did yeah. really well, but didn't go anywhere. And I said to my friend, Patrick Kennedy, who is our creative consultant on the book, I said to him, you know, I, uh, I, um, I have to take out the big black script. I have to try one more time. I just feel like I have to. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, he said, you know, I know you've had your heart set on making this a film, but would you consider making it a graphic novel? You know, because we could produce a graphic novel. We could never produce a film ourselves, Mm -hmm. but even if it came down to it, us trying to produce it ourselves, we could produce a graphic novel. I'm curious why he would suggest that. Did he have, is he a comics fan? No, yeah, he's the, he's, he's the quintessential comic book. Interesting. Okay. Quintessential. And, uh, and so then I wrote the script, reading it with Patrick, just hanging out with him. And I would go to the strand every, uh, every day and read graphic novels, read comic books, looking for artists. And one day I walked up there to the second floor and I saw across the room a little book that had Muhammad Ali's face <laughs> on it. And I did this run walk as like pretending I'm walking, but running. And I just grabbed it. And it was, of course, amazing. Yes, I, <laughs> I know the work myself. Um, and, and I, I went outside. I called Patrick right away. I said, have you ever heard of this guy? Amazing, amazing. And he said, no, I've never heard of him. And I said, well, I found this book. I, I sent Patrick a link to like whatever it was on Amazon or something. And I went home immediately and I began Googling and I found his website and I wrote him uh, a long email explaining who I was, what I was working on and, and that I was so inspired by his art that I thought that we would make a perfect collaboration on this project. And I didn't think he would even answer because I thought he would think, who is this Joe? You know, I don't know. Do I have time? What, what is this? And, so let's, uh, let's, let Amazian jump in here. Let, let, let him say a few yeah. things. So, so you, you've got this letter. Um, uh, what did you think? Uh, I think, uh, drawing a prison riot was the, the exact thing that scared me the most. Yeah. Because for you, for an artist is, is it's hell. Thousands uh, of people, uh, many faces to draw, many historical events to lock and to respect. Did and, you? Were you familiar with the history of Attica? Yeah, I, I knew the basic. I knew. Uh, I I've seen many years before a very quick uh, documentary, uh-huh. five minutes, that describe it like uh, the most violent prison riot in America. And I, of course, uh, I knew uh, the Dog Day Afternoon uh, Signal Lumet movies with uh, Al Pacino screaming sure. Attica, Attica. Sure. I know the I knew the basic. Yeah. Uh, when I read the stories, I couldn't drop it. It, it was very powerful. Uh, many things I didn't know at all, and I wanted to tell this story, but it was huge. It was very. Uh, Difficult job to, to, to envision, to, to see, to try to, to put in picture. So I, I said to myself, yeah, the, the writing was so good. It was very tight. Usually when I see a script, I try to see where there's some fat to cut and to, mm. to go directly to the good part. This one was worked for, for years. Mm. So it was for me perfect. Yeah. I said to him, 
okay, I'll do it. I don't, I didn't know how I will do it graphically. I say, I'll figure out. You'll figure, <laughs> you'll figure that out. Uh, back to you, Jared. Um, uh, okay. So you, 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 you've sitting essentially fan mail at this point, right? Yeah. To, yeah, yeah. Base, and, yeah. You don't have a book deal. No, no. And, and I, yeah. And so he says to me, you know, um, he writes back, I'm very interested, send me the script and I'll read it this weekend. And I, you know, as a, a fledgling writer, <laughs> that means like six months later, I'm making a sheepish call saying, Hey, so I don't know if you remember, I sent you a script, you said you were going to read it, you know, and, and he, he wrote me back two days later and uh said i'm your guy great I'm wow your guy. and and he had a our first drawing uh frank's logo uh-huh. uh, it still stands to this day as the, our logo and uh and i i couldn't believe it i couldn't yeah. believe it so then it was yeah so where did the book deal come in and did you have an agent uh did no, you just pitch no. it to uh booms uh archaea how'd that come I've, about I, so what happened was, is that I was blessed to right away have people in the industry, uh, mostly through contacts through Patrick that were supportive of this project completely. And, and, uh, Ame had just made like a, a little portfolio, not, not of even fully realized pages, though some of them have been used as full pages, but I mean like drawings and mm-hmm. gave, gave us a great portfolio of about what, eight, eight page eight pages of art and uh you know and i worked had worked on the synopsis and and had just great fan uh friendly people in the industry who who kept pushing me forward and uh patrick had invited me to a comic-con and uh christopher golden was there uh author of hellboy Mm -hmm. and he saw the portfolio and he right away said you know there's something here. Let me send it to a few people. And uh, Boom was one of them, Philip uh-huh. Seven at Boom. And uh, we still hadn't heard anything. And we got involved with Comic Mix, which is a great outfit. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mike Gold yeah, and oh, sure. mm-hmm. Ben Bauman, Joe Corallo, Molly Jackson. And they all were incredibly encouraging. And, and we were starting to go down that road when – a friend Casey Lansdale, the daughter of Joe R. Lansdale. Oh, okay, great. Stayed in my apartment, an incredible talent in her, her own right, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, said, "Hey, I love this portfolio. I love what you're doing. I have a contact at Boom, and it was Philip again." Okay. <laughs> and about a week later, I get an email from Boom, and I think I think it was mm-hmm. the combination. Although they said that it was Casey's that that. Uh, that had been forwarded to Bryce Carlson uh, and Sierra Hahn. And sure. uh, these guys came in and they were with us from the start. And they really, really uh, worked with us, uh, supported us, allowed us to tell the story. And and they made it better. Our editors, Alison Gronowitz and, and Sierra Hahn, mm-hmm. made the book infinitely better. I count them as high as me, Amezian, uh, you know, all of us. I mean, we're a team. Uh, but these women are uh, true rock stars. True rock stars made uh, it made it better. Amazing. Um, okay, so you're 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 you've joined the team uh, now. Yep. Uh, as you said, this is a daunting task. Uh, just drawing the the scope of this whole thing. 
how did you go about it? What was your source material? Uh, uh, where was it? Where did it? Did you need source material? What did you do? Documentary, of course. Yes. Because uh, there are many vi visual uh, of this area. So I, I look at everything I could find. Um, I very uh, particularly fan of the area of the 70s and uh, early 60s. Mm -hmm. So I, I have many documentation uh, for my prior book of Mohamed Ali. Mm -hmm. And that's the direction where I wanted to, I wanted to go. So when Jared proposed me the book, I was already going in that direction. So I stopped my personal project and worked full time on, uh, on the 70s uh, project with Jared. Um, I look at photography mm. a lot, but you can use them because the rights, you yeah. have to respect that. So you have to run around it, recreate things, change things, but you have to stay faithful to the, the, the area. It's very documented, the story. So you have to be quasi documentary and add the art part. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's not a documentary there's good documentary we add the it's an artistic piece too uh, I, 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 I'd also love to hear you talk about the chapter headings and you use a kind of splash page technique uh, that obviously connects with traditional comic books in many ways um, but it works tremendously well in many ways and I think gives Big Black uh, uh, even more heroic stature uh, than the narrative would anyway. Can you talk about that? About about that. For instance, plantation to plantation, or or the first time we see Big Black. It's really uh, a wonderful way to to frame each section of the story. I have a background in graphic design mm -hmm. and illustration, so I like to to have chapters in many of my books to cut. The, the story in the good place to give a flow and uh, also to have a um, little room to play. I, I wanted to have the most bigger image of, of Frank. And I couldn't do that in the story because we were on the human level guy. Mm -hmm. This way I could have a huge Frank above the prison. Yes. That's the way I see it. And Add the little comics elements because I wanted to to be very close to a, a comics of the seventies. Mm -hmm. And for me, the comics of the seventies I read when I, when I was a kid was the Spider-Man by Ross and Drew. Mm -hmm. uh, that and Jill Kane that mark back me very profoundly graphically, and I wanted to go back to that. And I use the graphic technique to. Not to mock up, but to homage the, that area of comics. And that's why I use uh, texture to add on the paper uh, uh -huh. a very old comics feel. Yes, and it's, it's incredibly iconic, uh, uh, the kind of image that, that, that just works really well to kind of set the stage. And you do this time, time and time again, the, uh, the, the, the heading massacre at Attica, they all have this incredible, I mean, it, it, it takes this classic comic book look and really takes it to another level of almost legend. Uh, so it's really terrific. And just what, to give you an idea of our please. teamwork, uh, 
Amazian at first had, you know, our first idea was to make it a, a, a like a five episode comic book and then put them together in a trade. And uh, um, he had come up uh, with this concept. And so he had asked me if I could come up with what would be the chapter titles and uh, help with that. And I sat around uh, working with the, a musician that we've worked with to collaborate on original music for this project, Alex DeShane. And we came up with those titles and he drew these in, and put them to just these iconic Yes. Iconic comic book covers that just add so much. You know, people pick up on that. Everyone picks up on that. So, is there is there a musical score uh, that there essentially is original songs? Uh-huh. We we just released uh, the video uh, this week. The the full version of the video was shown for the first time at the Strand. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a two minute. It's a two minute piece. It's music based on again the seventies, uh, Parliament Funkadelic. Um, you know, the funk band sound. And we, what we wanted was to make it sound like you had found a song from the seventies and then, uh, and then just jazzed it up to give it a little bit of a modern feel. But, uh, but yeah, we did a spoken word that, you know, is homage to Gil Scott Heron. Cool. Uh, which is in the voice of Angela Davis, uh, things like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll have to get a link to that. I, I can put Absolutely. with the excerpt that I've been, you know, circulating around. Well, you know what? I, I, I you, You've given us some background on obviously putting the book together and, of course, on uh, the Attica prison revolt itself. But I mean, could we could you kind of take us through the revolt itself? Uh, uh, I mean, the, the way the book starts, I mean, it really launches, I guess, in the only way it could. Uh, I guess with an, uh, an assault helicopter descending. Um, for, for, for those of our listeners who are just now learning, uh, you know, the, the, the horror and, and, and ultimately what we'll talk about is the impact of Attica. Maybe you could take us through how it started. Okay. So quickly, uh, Attica at the time was considered an example of overcrowding. We were already having uh, the concept of mass incarceration. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, this is at a time when there's uh, 12 prisons and I believe 12,000 prisoners in New York. And it goes to be 72 uh, prisons and over 72,000 prisoners uh, today. Yeah. So, so uh, at that time, we're talking about conditions of overcrowding one shower per week. And when we say a shower, it's not a shower. It's a bucket of water. Yeah. A bucket. You got two buckets of water, one for the top half, one for the bottom half, one roll of toilet paper per month. Yeah. Uh, Absolute. uh, If any wages, they were 29 cents a day to get to work. It was called, they called it the warden's plantation. Yeah. So, so in these types of conditions, uh, it, just on the tail end of the 60s, where the civil rights movement is becoming much more uh, militant, even post-Malcolm, you know. And so the Black Panthers, uh, Angela Davis, Bobby Seale, Huey Newton, th- these types of characters, uh, I say characters because of the book, but, yeah, sure. but people who who were leading uh, with with ideas. Prison writers were now uh, being made more prominent. George Jackson. Sure. In- mm-hmm. And Quentin, uh, Eldridge Cleaver wrote Soul on Ice, which had been a 
had a major impact on on prisoners being more political and and mm-hmm. saying you know no we have a right not to be treated uh like slaves yeah. and uh and and they began to see it politically as an extension of jim crow as an extension of slavery and uh and so they had advocated for better conditions they had sent um a manifesto they had tried to work within the system and at every turn it was ignored there had been now some rebellions in other uh mm-hmm. prisons like the tombs um in new york city and we're also talking about an almost totally white prison guard uh yeah. population oh, yeah, entirely white um, population uh, in, in attica infected with racism i think uh has been written about them at the time yes um uh and of course a prison atmosphere that um of summary punishment uh yes. by guards on prisoners yes for incidents small and large Yes. And, and just the, the degrading, uh, conditions, like you said, of the racism, of, of the constant, constant drag of the racism, uh, and, and with impunity. Yeah. With impunity. I, at trial, I, I, I was reminded of this today. The, the, the state's lawyers had to say to the jury, look at them, you know, when all the, all the use of the N-word, they were like, well, Rightly or wrongly, and all of a sudden he caught himself. And he goes, and I guess we would say wrongly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this well. is just how people talked. <laughs> so, could you tell us a little bit? Spoke. Now, the, the the incident started. Uh, uh, I, 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 so the incident started really at George Jackson's uh, death in mm-hmm. in California, which everyone at uh, in the prison population felt was an assassination, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they went and they had a protest the next day to go into the mess hall and have everyone take come in in silence, many people wearing black armbands, and sit down and nobody eat. Mm-hmm. Nobody eat. And the guards were spooked. They yeah. were scared. They were spooked. They realized that, you know, organizing was going on. There were, you know, people were talking and, and, and organizing and coming together. And so then there was a, what would be really considered a minor incident, two inmates sparring in the yard. The guards think they're fighting. So they start yelling. No one thinks of anything of it because they're all playing mm. and guards come in. And, and by this time, things, tensions have been a little bit hot. Prisoners form around them, say, no, no, you're not going to deal with them. The guards come out at night, grab them out of their cells. Everyone is sure they're being beaten in isolation. The next morning, they're they're deciding that they're going to just send uh, one group, lock them in, and they get caught in a hallway, and it just starts to go down, and it expands from there. They get to Times Square, which kind of controls the prison. Guarding this is a, this is a, a central area in uh, yeah, Africa. in the prison, uh, breaking up the four sections of the prison, and a faulty bolt breaks. Gate comes down on the guard at Times Square, and the prison is now open. And that's how the rebellion continues. Then they meet out in the yard, and the people that had led with the manifesto the organizing of the strike uh they instantly begin organizing mm-hmm. and set up a table and begin organizing and create a a group of people that are and uh, set up a sound system etc and they have uh, 39 hostages 
Uh, and uh, of course, uh, uh, looming over all this is uh, New York State Governor Nelson Rockefeller, who eventually ordered this uh, exactly. assault uh, to retake the prison. It was up yeah. with, uh, uh, the notes I see: uh, over twelve hundred prisoners uh, uh, participated to take control of the prison. Yep, twelve hundred and eighty. Yeah, and hundreds of state troopers uh, were used. Um, uh, now there was negotiations went on for a while. I, 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 there were many. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the legal team? I mean, William Kunstler was a part of it. So William Kunstler, he was brought in with the original uh, group of observers, and he was asked by the prisoners to be their uh, lawyer while he attorney while he was while they were in the yard trying to negotiate a way out, trying to negotiate amnesty so the whole thing could end peacefully. Uh, as we know, that wasn't yeah, successful yeah. because Rockefeller was not going to negotiate that and was not going to go to Attica and was trying to beef up his uh, law and order bona fides and uh, to run for president. Sure. And to eventually become – to hope that he would eventually become president. Um William Kunstler did a lot of the work because originally after Attica, when uh, even though there had been this massive assault, they – Prosecutors instantly slapped charges on the prisoners. Yeah. You know, it just unbelievable. And so a, a team of lawyers, uh, Con- Bill William Kunstler amongst them, then went into defending and ultimately winning almost every single one didn't. And that one was re- later granted, uh, mm-hmm. Clement Dakajawea's case in the death of the guard that had been uh, hit at Times Square with the fence and then they tried to pin it on, uh, Doc. And that was the only one that they got. Everything else was thrown out. Everything else was acquitted. And then a legal team came together because the only way they were going to get justice was to have a civil suit. And my stepfather filed a civil suit uh-huh. on the last possible day of 19, September 13, 1974 would be the last possible day, three days, the uh, statute of limitations, oh, wow. and he filed class action among, uh, uh, for all the prisoners against Governor Rockefeller and the state of New York. Um, um, and, and just to remind our listeners, I mean, all of the deaths that we've talked about uh, were um, by the hands of the state troopers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, even though erroneous material or lies, if you want to call them that were spread throughout this about, uh, inmates, uh, attacking the, the guards and the hostages, Muslim prisoners, uh, were smeared as well. Um, though their role in fact was to protect them, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. 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 And they, they even made a vow amongst themselves, a compact that they were going to protect them no matter what. So your uh, so your stepfather uh, was part of the legal team that carried out the civil suit that went on yes. for twenty some years. Yes, yes. yes. Um, uh, that you eventually won. What now? What was the final? He 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 uh, he he won an award, but it was overturned. Yes, they had won. Uh, they had begun the class action suit, and they were dividing it into three parts, where there would be someone to represent. The prisoners that had been tortured the most or murdered, there would be someone to represent more in the middle, people that had been beat up really badly. And the others were just everyone, What because everyone had gone through 
something threats mm-hmm. uh, and everyone was made to run that gauntlet everyone was made yeah. to crawl through the mud nude everyone was whacked at kind of haphazardly and so uh they had done the one so frank was represented the most injured and he won a $4 million judgment. And that was supposed to be for 40, 50 people. Mm-hmm. And then they had also then next tried who was supposed to be the least injured. And this was David Brosig. And he was granted a $75,000 judgment. So already you're talking well over $200 million mm-hmm. as it was supposed to be decided. So they had just won these two cases, huge after 20, uh, 22 years. And, uh, the appellate court knocked it all out, said, no, you know what? It was wrongly decided to do a class action. Not going to do it that way. You're going to have to try every case individually. And Frank's verdict and David Brosig's verdict are set aside. And so at that point now, you're going to have to have, and everyone's dead, dying. Sure. Elderly, you know, uh, it, it just absolutely was ridiculous and, and with no budget. So it was ridiculous. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it was, it, they knew that this, this was it. And now the state had brought in a judge, Teleska, who was known to make it settle. And so it was clearly a move to settle the whole thing. And it was settled for $12 million, which would have been a fraction of what, yeah, if it, a fraction and, uh, and and they had to take it. They had yeah. they felt they had no choice. Yeah. And at least to get some measure of judgment, though uh, justice, though there was no apology, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they they accepted that, and and that was where it ended. Okay. Well, um, um, well, hopefully this book will 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 bring um the memories of what happened there back in sharper focus. Uh. Certainly the member, uh, the memory of, uh, Frank Smith and what he suffered and how, uh, the respect that all parties seem to, to have for him. What has been, I know the book is just coming out now, um, uh, you know, uh, have, have anyone been reaching out to you? What's the state of that movie now? <laughs> You've got a book now. That's gotta help somewhat. Yes. Well, <laughs> Amazing exactly. is, is crossing, got his fingers yeah. crossed. Uh, well, we, you know, uh, Boom has a relationship with 21st Century Fox. So, uh, as far as I understood, the, the, they have what is a first look, uh, deal with them so that, uh, 21st Century Fox agrees to at least consider every, uh, book for uh, every graphic novel for optioning. So I, I assume that that's working its way through the channels. Like I said, we've, we've just been so focused on, on, on so much of the work around this book up until the last second. And then we all were collaborating on the video. So all of us had a hand in that as well. Uh, and so it's just been a 24 seven, uh, kind of operation. So hopefully we'll, we'll hear something from boom. I'm trusting that those guys, because they've been really rocked, you know, they've really rocked it out on this book. So I, I, I trust them to, to, to make sure it happens. So Ms. Yen, are you, are you part of the promotion? Uh, will you be, uh, coming to the States or will you be doing promotions in Europe? Well, as, mm, you so don't far, know. Uh, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. If I'm, uh, if I'm called at some time, I, I could do it. I will, uh, Rush to make an appearance uh, with pleasure. Uh, 
Um, uh, well, hopefully, um, you'll get to talk about this. Um, uh, it, it, I, I haven't been able to talk to you too much. Is there anything else you'd like to, uh, to, to tell us about your participating in it, what it's meant to you as an artist? For me, there's, when you work on special books, they help you grow as an artist. Mm-hmm. And this one particularly did that. Uh, I discovered a great friendship with, uh, with Jared, with Patrick and many, many, many members of the crew. But as an artist, it changed my, my way of, uh, of doing things, gave me more trust in, uh, in my instincts and, um, and um, I love working on that, and I hope to 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 do more with with Jared. We have plans, and we 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 wait on them, and we we hope to 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 go forward with that. Uh, well, that's great. Well, well, hopefully I'll get a chance to interview interview again about other projects uh, down the road. Really, uh, the work on this book. He has a wonderful it. book out now that yeah. dropped in Europe, Miss Davis, about uh, huh? the life of Angela Davis, and it is spectacular well that's spectacular. good to know i've seen some i've seen the cover floating around on the internet so yeah. we'll have to get you an english we we'll have to get a u.s publisher for that um we do because it's the art is just brilliant um and really throughout this book uh, uh art uh really is tremendous including the, the really poignant sections at the end of the book uh uh about big black uh with his wife pearl um yeah. So I'm very sorry that I missed the event, uh, where she was there. Um, um, well, I assume she'll be on maybe, uh, a part of some we, other we promotional have an event. On Saturday at the New York Public Library, the Grand Central branch. Uh-huh. Uh, and she will be there for that. She's staying in New York to be there for that. And then she'll be traveling back to where she and, uh, Black have their, had their home in, uh, Kinston, uh, North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, so that's this Saturday in New York? That's this Saturday okay. in New York at the Grand Central Branch of the New York Public Library. All right. Well, um, what time of day is that? I'll try my best to stop by. I, I, I believe we have a 3 o'clock start. Yeah? Okay. I'll look it up. All right. Look, um, you know, we're, I'm going to end this here. Um, uh, I could listen to you guys talk forever. Uh, uh, but look, uh, congratulations on the book. Uh, it's an honor to get to talk to you. Uh, I guess this is a life's work in some ways to bring this story back and not let it die. And certainly, um, Big Black, uh, earned his spot in, in history. And, um, and we stand and, on his shoulders. Absolutely. Sure. And we get a chance to honor him, uh, absolutely. and in his memory and, and all of the memory of everybody that died there. This is only the second time Amezian and I have spoken. So <laughs> we worked together for three years and, and we've spoken two times. So. Right. So, I, yeah. So it's been a three year project to bring this book. Uh, yeah. It was, yeah. It was yeah. December of 2016 when I wrote him that email. It was like between Christmas and New Year's. Right. And, uh, but we started together right away. And, and, and we, and we've worked up to the, just a couple of days ago on that video. Right. So. Well, look, it's a great pleasure to talk to both of you, uh, Jared and Amazia. Thank you both for being on More to Come. Thank you, Calvin. Thank you. Thank Good you. to see you, brother. All right.